thinking about meditation. I was thinking about something. Quite often we find ourselves thinking about meditating rather than meditating. So we find ourselves going around and around about this, about that. Should I? Shouldn't I? Should I do this? Should I do something else? Do I have time to meditate? What is meditation? Meditation even helped me. It's like analyzing jogging or something. So we're always, the idea here with this talk is we're always thinking about stuff. We're thinking and thinking. We're overthinking, underthinking. Adding, subtracting, dividing. Thinking about what other people are thinking about what we're thinking. Quite often, that's our preoccupation. What will people think? And so the process, the practice of meditation seems to be quite a bit about thinking about meditation. We're sitting down and we're, we think, we review that, we look at it, we analyze it. How's it going? Am I doing it correctly? What are the instructions? Are these are the instructions really just to sit here and observe? Just to sit here? Am I supposed to be doing something else? Shouldn't I feel better? I've been meditating now for, oh my gosh, three weeks now. So far. Pretty much sucks. Probably doing it right if that's because your meditation is a practice of looking at something in a very subtle way. So the talks I've given, I've given several talks in the past called Meditation is Action, and it is a very subtle action, a very important action. It's actually the act of sitting down, holding still, and observing very closely what is moving on a very subtle level subtle, refined, uh, even delicate process of thinking, thinking about this, about that, evaluating, conforming to something, objecting to something, agreeing with something. Somebody leave the television on? The children. Oh, it's his... uh, Laptop. Just close the door. That's fine. Did Carmen bring both of them? Oh, good. Are they thinking about meditation? (laughs) So the idea can't be talked about enough, probably, is to train our minds to see very clearly what's actually going on beyond our presumptions, our thought patterns, our judges, our judgments, our reactions. And if we, if we spend some time doing that, then when we get up off the cushion and go out into our, as they say, post-meditation, our everyday life, some of that clarity, some of that just observing tends to trail along, follow us around. Uh, The feeling that you might be having when that occurs is being less sure of yourself, less, shall we say, confident. The road to unconditional confidence is uh, uh, scattered with the corpses of your ideas about this and about that. Everything starts to die out. Ego does not like this. Ego mind does not like to see its ideas, opinions start to collapse and come apart and uh, disintegrate. But through going through this process, this observation, 
of what's happening in our mind on a very subtle level. We train our minds to see what is fundamentally true. Fundamentally true. You could call it absolute truth. The interesting thing about absolute truth is you actually can't see it. You can't claim it. You can't find it. If you find it, then that's just a very refined or rarefied or fancy form of relative truth. Interesting thing about uh, working out of relative confidence, we, we go from being fearful to being sure of ourselves and then back to being or confident and then back to being kind of fearful and then not being too sure and then being kind of afraid but not totally and then back and forth. And the interesting thing about one who is operating out of Unconditional confidence, one goes from being fearful to being confident to being kind of fearful, not so fearful, and then more fearful, and then less confident. So what's the difference? Doesn't that sound kind of the same? I don't know if I repeated myself or not, but I tried to. So what's the difference? Is there a difference? There's a difference. And at the same time, it's different. It's the same because it's not separate. So that's where the realization begins to see that uh, unconditional confidence is not having a self, a being, an identity that is threatened or that minds one way or another, whether he, she, they succeed or fail. They might notice their success relative. They might notice that there's failure relative. But the unconditional confidence coming comes from seeing those are both sandokai. The equality of sameness and difference. That has to be seen. You can't you can't invent that. You can't make it up. You can't analyze your way to it. Although there are teachings that claim that you can. And what are they? They're the same and different. What are those colors at the bottom of the computer screen? Is it a red one? No, it's green. It's our internet connection. Oh, okay. Green is best. Green is best. So give me some questions here. How do we go from thinking about meditation to incorporating what we're doing? You go from thinking about meditation to meditating by observing thoughts. If you observe thoughts and you don't add to them, you don't uh, reject them, and you don't shut off on them, then they... They die out, but they don't die out in the sense that they go away forever. They could come back, they could go away, but they don't seem to have any kind of uh, uh, connection, purchase. They don't have any purchase. They can't get a hold of an identity that is thinking. They can't, it, they know there's no one to claim that. It's like orphans. They're all wandering around without a... Mama, parent, creator. They're uncreated. It's going to be a really flat talk if somebody doesn't ask me questions. Yes. Thinking about meditation, is that an indication that we should meditate? What? Is 
thinking about meditation, the indication that we should actually sit down and meditate? Yes. Is that different from a lot of other thoughts that seem to arise about? You mean thoughts about not meditating? No, thoughts about doing other things. That's thoughts about not meditating. There's only two kinds of thoughts. (laughs) You got me. (laughs) I guess I'm I'm wondering about when when I'm sitting, I have a lot of thoughts about other things that I could or should be doing. Yes. And there seems to be a tendency to that if I'm thinking about something a lot, I should then go and put that into action. Can we have thoughts about something without jumping to the final outcome of them? Yes. Well, if you're sitting and you're having thoughts about something and you're not doing anything about it, then that's how you should do it. But if you're having thoughts and you immediately go from the thought to something else, to doing something, then there's a kind of avoidance going on there. So I say, I've even said this to you recently, don't do anything unless you have to. If you're doing something that you don't have to do, then this is you're coming out of some kind of confusion or some kind of... Um, lack of connection with what's actually going on, what's actually the case. Jumping to conclusions about something, grasping at something, hoping for something else, wanting something else. Yokido. Does the um, kind of confidence that arises without attaching to an identity, does that occur mixed in with the confidence or lack thereof that happens. It's happening all the time to everybody. When does, not when, um, Mm -hmm. how does, does that just, the confidence without an identity get more frequent then as you practice longer? May not. If it's more frequent, then there's some kind of evaluator going on, some kind of evaluation of, I think I'm being more unconditionally confident. So that may happen if you feel there's less fear, then we start to get a gaining idea. But one who is, uh, who is realized is full of fear. But there isn't anyone there to be fearful because there's no separation from anything. There's not even any separation from ego. So therefore, the, the person who is realized could also be completely uh, filled with self-centeredness and ego. Is it just the recognition of that coming up, the, the fear, the confidence that leads to not attaching to it? It's the whole idea of something leading to something else that uh, starts to crumble. Nothing leads to something else. What is fear without a sense of being threatened? Something? Good one. Just an emotion. It's just an emotion, fear. It's like a, it's like blue smoke, without without a smoker. Of all these highly intelligent people, should be asking. Confidence without an identity 
what is being confident in? What what is being confident? Mm -hmm. Just just the space itself. Is there a contrast to that? In space you unconfident? When you go to sleep. <laughs> question. And our thought emotion arises as persistence. Um, what's the difference between not doing anything with it versus just not thinking about it purposefully? Mm, just not thinking about it purposefully. Probably that's a, a a highly developed form of avoidance. And we're not saying that that might not temporarily give you some respite or some relief from it, but it will be back more than likely. And so what was the other one? The other? Well, you just said, I mean, the difference between not doing anything with a thought, purpose, persistent thought pattern versus so, so purposefully not okay. in a technique or with yeah. just shut off. So doing, uh, not doing anything with it is, means it's just going to be there uh, and on its own uh, time frame or its own schedule or lack thereof. So it may stay, it may go, it may, sh it may turn over, it may increase, it may de decrease. All you're doing is uh, just observing that. And not adding anything onto it uh, uh, as far as evaluating whether this is uh, should be happening, shouldn't be happening, or looking for some kind of reason why it's happening that way. You're just watching it. Is it possible to have thoughts without jumping to what they mean? Yes. It is. Wow. Just don't jump. But isn't that a thought of not jumping? Mm, no. Telling yourself not to jump is a thought. Just not jumping comes from watching thoughts come, watching them come, watching them come, and just no longer fighting with them. No, lo no war with anything. No longer any war with the most negative feeling that can overtake you. No warfare. So is there some sort of analytical self that later recognizes that I didn't jump to something else with my thoughts? Probably not. So it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about the, and say this in a way that actually is clear, but it's... Well, there's no, you get no credential for getting anywhere. If you're starting to get more and more of something, more and more clear, more and more awake, more and more, less and less jumping to conclusions, any of that is, those are credentials. And the, the reality of this space is completely without a credential. So there's no, promotion going on. Yes. How, how do you notice some kind of change without getting a credential, without it being one? Yeah. Uh, you notice that you're nobody. You notice there's no, there's no place to put the credential. You notice that when you put on a robe or you put on a Roxu, that there's there's no one there. Put the Roxu on your head and no, no one there. There's no one doing that. The person who is still attaching just to a self and hooking on to some kind of identity that's getting somewhere or not getting somewhere will be, there'll be some kind of a commentary going on about that. Whereas to... The one who has realized this, there's no particular commentary. Other than, you might say, well, what's going to happen now? Even though it's obvious what's going to happen, but 
wonder who that's going to happen to. Yes. What's the difference between a credential and developing an ability? Is the credential obvious? Right. Is, is the credential just someone else's opinion or an opinion versus an ability is something that's could be the credential that I'm talking about is when you when you have a you actually think that you're getting some kind of a a merit badge for getting somewhere you know you're actually making you're getting further and further and you're getting more and more um, credentials or, or some kind of a, a common a solidified commentary description of who you are getting somewhere and less and less warlike and more and more peaceful and more more clear and more open to people and more loving. Uh, quite often we'll even hear people say, I'm just, all I care about is others. I just want to, I always give myself to others. I'm always, never think about myself. I'm always just giving to others. Quite, quite often we'll run into people who say that. And what do we do? We listen to them. Jason. We're watching a situation that tends to trigger us. Um, we know sometimes that it maybe doesn't trigger us. Is that still delusion? No, I think it's just awareness. You're just noticing that it's not, not triggering you. When it triggers you, is it delusion? Somewhat. But not necessarily. It just depends. You're also noticing that it's triggering you. You're noticing that it's not triggering you. You're, you're looking at that. You're noticing that. And there's a, there's a kind of a sense of curiosity about what that is. Kind of an interest in it. Rather than a, an interest in stopping one and starting the other. Or you know, rather some kind of an agenda about molding yourself into some kind of ideal person. There's more of a, a somewhat of a kind of a curiosity and the interest in it about what that is is very strong this uh you could call this baby prajna it's, it's a, a kind of insight that starts to occur that is just interested in the truth not interested in promoting anybody it's like a a willingness to see the truth even if i completely vanish only the truth is important this self-centeredness this body mind complex if it's here fine if it disintegrates and goes away, then that's just what occurs. We're not all that excited about it, but we're not also not too concerned. Yes. If some awareness does arise around being triggered, yeah. is there a way to work with softening our, our word of action? Yeah, stay, stay in your senses. If the awareness is all into trying to protect the self-centeredness so we don't look bad or so we don't, this is a little bit too manipulative of, of the situation. It's a little bit better, you could say, to uh, take a chance on it. Just have a willingness to let that do whatever it needs to do. Take some of that awareness and how this feels, gravity, how this looks, just colors, sense of smell, sense of taste, five sense consciousness, including the mind, the six consciousness. Just watch, just observe what happens. And in that way, in the middle of being triggered, that's just another thing you're being aware of. So there's not a lot of a, a credential around that or hope and fear around fear that you're going to lose control of yourself. If you're afraid you're going to lose control of yourself or you're going to look bad, then there's, then there's, we start to kind of shore up and give little mini lectures to ourselves that we're going to be okay. And you can do this, you can get through this, kind of like they do at the Olympics. The Olympics are just full of, of self-centeredness and uh, narcissism and so on. Not wrong, it's just, just what it is, yes. Junchu. When we're watching how we are or are not triggered, can that insight or curiosity arise? while we still feel embarrassed about how it's currently operating? Sure. How would the curiosity look if there's still some sort of 
experienced person. I'm just, just curious about it. Not interested in getting rid of the embarrassed person. Not interested in, in uh, analyzing that or validating that or here's the reason I'm so embarrassed or here's the way I need to get rid of the embarrassment or maybe if I'm more and more aware my embarrassment will go away or if I see through ego uh, that there won't be anything left to be embarrassed. Is a feeling of embarrassment analyzing a situation? It could be. Just, just embarrassment, just kind of being, being self-conscious about our awkwardness or our stumbling around or our attachment to hope and fear, seeing the attachment. Someone who's totally attached doesn't even see it. They just function out of it. They're quite difficult to deal with sometimes. Yes, sir. Is it possible to attach the one without the other? What do you mean by one without the other? Uh, like hope and fear. Is it possible to like attach to hope without, without attaching to uh, it, it can look that way, but the, anytime we anytime we grasp it, either one of those, the other one is uh, just around the corner. Maybe not right away, but if we're, we begin to be very hopeful, this is something that in in our society, our culture, hope is we hear it all over the place. You need to be hopeful. We should be full of hope, and what gives you hope, and that kind of thing. And it's a it's a, I'm not going to say it's wrong or something bad or evil or something. It's just that it's the other polarity. It's, it's leaving the very thing that we need to look at. We need to look at the, the difficulty itself without adding on. Here, here's, here's, here's the problem. And then someone says, what gives you hope? And then you say, you look away from what it is into uh, how it could possibly be, and then we presume to um, make up stuff about how this could look better. And when what when it's really what it's saying is we're not looking at the warfare, we're not looking deeply down into it. We're actually abandoning the problem and going into some kind of uh, temporary uh, god realm, just like going into fear is going into a temporary hell realm. So, I would say, mm-hmm. oh, well, uh, so, so you're saying by attaching yourself to hope, you can enter a temporary God-like realm. Yeah, you're, you're, you're creating a, you're actually ignoring the situation in order, even albeit for a few minutes, and going into some what if, other. Mm-hmm. What, what if, like, while you're there, instead of avoiding the problems that are there, you try and help and... You mean help them while you're in the God realm, help yeah. them there? Pretty hard to do it in the God realm. That's why they call it the God realm. It's because it's unrealistic. You know, you're in a, you're in an area. It's unrealistic. If you see that, if you really see what that is, you'll stay with whatever the issue is. You'll stay with it, and you'll you'll insist. You could say in a not in an aggressive way. You'll insist on seeing the truth. Occasionally, you'll meet a person, a personality, uh, a human being who who is very interested in seeing the truth. And sometimes you'll, if they're, sometimes just the way they function is they're just very interested in that. If you listen to them, watch them, or follow them to some extent, you'll eventually find a way in which they start to become hopeful. They actually abandon what they've just been very, very clear about and go into some kind of fuzziness. I'm I'm describing it. I'm not particularly taking anybody's, anyone's inventory. I'm not saying you should not do that. If they're, if they're not a meditator, then they're not someone who stretches their awareness and is continually stretching the awareness so we can see more clearly. They're probably going to be lost in that area, no matter how intelligent they are. Yes? Uh, has, has anybody ever tried to make this temporary permanent thing and bring others there with them? Yeah. Christianity does that. 
not the totality of it, but it, but but some people do that. They talk about heaven and being saved and living in some kind of hope of a savior uh, person, and so we put all of our all of our hopes and, and our dreams into that area. And again, it's not incorrect, not wrong. People should do that. If someone comes and presents that, then I would say then that they should do that. Yeah, they should do it. If that's what they want to do, I wouldn't inter interfere with someone's life. So, don't give up on me. <laughs> Help me. No, with no. Um, I'm speechless. Yeah. Well, is it a, is it a speechless because you're um, have another question? No. Okay. So do you see what I'm saying? I don't mean to be take uh, issue with any any religion. I, I, people should do what they're, they're doing, and I, I trust that someone, what they're practicing, whatever they're practicing, they should do it. I'm just saying from the point of view of these teachings, that would be called a God realm. And this is a highly, Buddhism is, if nothing else, a highly pragmatic, yes, sir? Is the God realm here on earth? I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just the same mind, right? It's, it's still here. It's in our mind, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, but, but it's still here. I mean, it's not in our mind. Well, just it's in your mind. In the and if I say uh, 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 if I say a red uh, rose, you see a red rose in your mind, and that's that's where heaven realm would be that same area. In your uh, your mind, your imagination, your creation, you would create that. So, so not incorrect. You know, I want to emphasize it. it's not I'm not judging that. Particular. I'm just saying that what we're doing here is we're trying to be as uh, practical as we can with very nuts and bolts kind of situation, life and death. Sometimes I think about meditation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> What's that like? Seems like I'm trying to figure it out to see if I'm yeah. it correctly. Yeah. Find a reference point there. Yes. And what is it to just, how do we work with that tendency to? It's a fear of, of not doing this correctly or a fear of wasting our time because we're, right. we're misunderstanding what we're doing. What's the question? When those, when you start analyzing your own meditation, how can you work with that? Just keep doing it. What is, how does the repetition work with that, that neurotic? Analytical mind. Where is it out? You have to do a lot of it. It just wears it out because it can't get anywhere. It doesn't work. It just wears it out. You know that. It just wears it out. But there's no, there's no reward at the end of the line. Like, aha. It doesn't feel progressive. It's not progressive. How does it, um, how does wearing out look in this sense? Traditionally, wearing out would be like over time, it's less and less and less active. Yes. Whereas some days it's explosive and other days it's very quiet. So, when we talk about wearing out that neurotic mind or the analytical mind, how does that contrast to our traditional understanding of things kind of tapering off? I think there's a similarity there. It's just that uh, the way the mind is, it, it's got really big lumps and bumps in it. And sometimes there's periods where, you know, you're working with something, then, then you start to run into some other situation that's uh, down the line a ways. It's kind of like a terrain. Uh, an example I often use, which is traditional, is going up the side of a mountain. You need to get up in order to see the, the view. You have to follow this path and you relatively speaking so you start to go up and you run through night and day and night and good weather and bad weather and you just but you just keep going 
keep practicing, keep studying, uh, keep working with the, the path, how, it's, how, how it happens to be laid out by the teachings and by the teacher, and just proceed. And so there'll be times when things smooth out and are fairly easy, and then times when they start to get more difficult, more abrasive, more threatening, more, more uh, maybe there's more fear. But we, we just go, we just keep going anyway. This is one of the ways that we, one of the ways that we do that is the bodhisattva vows to take care of others. So we get all tied up with ourselves, how we're doing and who we are and how we're feeling. And, and instead we, we start to turn our awareness out to others. I wonder how I can actually help others. I'm not just talking about giving out $20 bills to people with cardboard signs. What I'm saying, and actually we're being with someone who's having difficulty and being with them, actually receiving what is coming from them. And the way you learn to do that is by sitting down, holding still, and receiving the very negativity you've been stuffing for probably the most of your life, maybe many lifetimes. Stuffing it, stuffing it. Here we are again, back in this incredible school we call living beings. So we give attention to others. We see how they're doing. Listen to listen to how they're how they're handling their life, how they're working with things. Don't necessarily give them advice, but it means a lot to someone to really be listened to. Am I correct? I knew I was. I didn't have to check with you. I knew I was. More? Well, this isn't something you teach, but the Tibetans often talk about having joy, joyful practice, and mm -hmm. joyful serving. And how does it really feel to help people? Feels good. In what way does it feel? Not all wound up in yourself. Still painful? Can be. What is joy? No more war. Thank you for that question. That always sounds better when it's a response to a question. Think of it, no more war. You're a human being, you're born into this lifetime and into an incredibly distressed world of billions of people where there's difficulty. As we can see, it's, it's such a big, huge conflagration of, of um, tension and warfare and fighting and killing. And if you can... Stop fighting with your own emotions, your own conflicting emotions. Just, just don't, don't go there. Don't join either side, and don't take either one and reject those. So you could say that would be in the Buddhist uh, teachings. There's something called bliss. And bliss is not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Oh, everyone wants to be happy. Anyone here not want to be happy? Yes. You don't want to be happy? <laughs> I was trying to pause. Oh. These are one of your pause. <laughs> yes. There's the other one. Yes, go ahead. Um, can we have conflicting emotions and not join either side? But be bouncing back and forth between them. Well, until you said bouncing back and forth, it was I, I would say yes. Okay. The, the bouncing part means that you're you're picking and choosing and picking and choosing and picking and choosing. And what's being said from this direction is saying just have them. Well, you know what's extra about that is you think that there might be a right and a wrong to it. You might think that this is the correct one, and that's, and then you then you know, maybe, 
or maybe it's you might know, go back and forth. And people do that uh, different with different uh, degrees of intensity. Some people hang on to one side, and they, that's how they suffer because they're hanging on to one end of it. They look at the other end and they think, no, this can't, it can't be that way. This is how I, this is how I feel. And this must be how it is. And then other people have, uh, more like what you're describing. They have this one, then it goes to that one, then it goes to that one. The very emotion of going back and forth is, and it makes you seasick. You know, it's just, and so there's that kind of discomfort. Whereas the other kind of discomfort is that there's a fixation on one position. And then the conflicting part about, you know, the having the emotion, I, I feel like I should do this, but I really want to do that. I, I should be doing this, but I don't want, I want to do this. Conflicting, conflicting. That's one of the two veils that we talked about here. The other one being uh, mistaken views about the nature of reality, thinking that it is... There's good and bad and up and down, back and forth, and like and death. Brittany? When you have conflicting emotions, are they both delusion or confusion? The whole thing is confusion and delusion, but having any kind of position on it. So yeah, the whole right and wrong situation is the thing that's difficult. And you could say, and I could ask the question for you, you could say, well, would, if one of them was, I need to save all beings, no, I need to buy a Porsche. Hmm? You could. <laughs> <laughs> the Bodhisattva in the Porsche. There's a good talk in the future. I'll have to give that one. I can do that. I, I own a Porsche. Yes, I was, but I lost it. Yes, sir. You separate the concept of right and wrong versus like good and bad. That's two different. Uh, again, uh, like right and wrong versus good and bad. Like, well, do so you, do you separate? Yeah, so harmful is harmful, and not harmful is not harmful. So that's pretty easy. It's when we, it's when we go in and grasp at one thing or the other and try to blame or, or take it further than that. When somebody's being, uh, uh, operating and being, say, being bad or disruptive or hurting other people, quite often what happens is we go right in and blame them right away without looking at it and seeing that, that they have their own past. They had their own causes and conditions that put them in such a position to even be uh, do a harmful thing. And so we're not looking at it deeply enough. Instead, we're jumping right on the surface of it and saying good and bad. Uh, immediately going down and saying good and bad, rather than looking deeply into it and saying, what, what is the best thing to, overall best thing to do with this situation? You found me? Yes. Um, what about like right versus good? Right versus good. The concepts are, concepts always have, if you have a concept, you always have its opposite. So if you have good, you're going to have bad. And if you have right, you're going to have wrong. And those two things get their meaning from each other. But if you don't go to either one and you just relate to the situation as it is, then, then there's, uh, uh, then there's just uh, including everything. And then there's a possibility of something being uh, truly a spiritual path rather than just the mundane path of, getting the good stuff, keeping away the bad stuff, winning. The whole structure of winning and losing is rampant. It's all over the culture. But it's not not about a spiritual path. And, you know, and a spiritual path isn't for everyone to do. Not everyone's going to want to do this. So we're not here to give any propaganda. You know, we've been doing this for a while, but there are you know, a dozen people here. So it's not, they don't have to go over and rent Kellogg Auditorium. There's so many people who want to be on the spiritual path. Not many. So we're not getting rid of the, the right and wrong or good and bad. We're not going to get rid of that. But we need to look at it and see that those, that's called duality. We need to see the duality deeply. Just like uh, the other duality that we misunderstand is life and death. We think that those are two separate things. 
You can't have life without death. You actually can't live without killing living things. You can't eat cardboard and live very long. You have to kill something. Does hope and fear for what they are drain away some of their power to distract us? I think it does. I think we're not trying to we're not trying to get rid of hope. We're not even trying to get rid of fear. We're just trying to to see them. We're trying to get them uh, out of the rearview mirror into right in front, so we can see them. And this way, we can see the way they uh, those two kind of uh, situations. Uh, arising in consciousness uh, has to do with grasping and rejecting. So hope is uh, is passion or grasping or clinging to something we want, and fear is uh, fighting or pushing away or being afraid of or covering up something we don't want. So we're right back to right back to that situation. So keeping those in view, not getting rid of them, but seeing them and uh, keeping them in view and be understanding them helps us work with everyone. Helps us meet when we meet people who are extremely fearful and are so fearful that they're, they just become warlike. They're so afraid. They put swastikas on their body somewhere and go out and, and are mean to a lot of people because they're so fearful. Not because they're brave. They're fearful and they're trying to cover it up with lots of machismo. So, for us as meditators, the, the thing that we want to do here is to look at the hope and fear in ourselves, in our own hearts, look at the difficulty and the, the struggle, the even low-level, low-burn of warfare that someone around us might never even see, but we know it's there. They might see a person who's fine and gets along well and is kind and uh, not doesn't have problems with anything in particular, yet you're working with something you're on a spiritual path, you're working with something, you're working with their consciousness, and that consciousness, the more open that gets, the more it starts to include everything. So you start to include the whole world in here. With um, conflicting emotions, if you're not picking and choosing or going back and forth, are you than feeling them simultaneously? You could. If you see them simultaneously, there's no conflict. There's just just the emotion. The, mo- the emotion may come, it may go, it may leave, but you're no longer uh, t- taking inventory on anything. You're just, you're just aware of something coming or going. You're not adding why it's coming, why it's going. There's no propaganda around it. There's no commentary. There's no analysis of the whole thing. We're not, and we're not getting rid of analysis. We're just saying, let's, let's use it uh, you know, when it seems appropriate, rather than to use it to shield ourselves from things we don't want to look at. My observation is having pessimistic thought patterns draws more of that type of energy versus having optimistic thought pattern draws more of that Type of energy. How does that relate to hope and fear? Is that the same thing, or is it? I think there's a there's a correlation or an echo there that's happening, and that would be your uh, as a meditator. Uh, that would be something that you would just watch, and uh, it's very important not to try to get rid of things to you know get rid of things you don't want so you can have the other things. That's more that's materialism. It's called uh, my teacher Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. There's a book published in 1973 called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, which we study here every Tuesday night and have been for years and years. We go, we come to the end of it, we start right over and go through it again because it's a very good um, teaching on spiritual materialism, on trying to use a spiritual path, not saying you're doing this, but to get to some kind of a goal, to get to accomplish something. And that's more like the mundane path of, of relative truth. So you, all you would have to do in that situation, if I may say it this way, is just be aware of it. Just notice the, the how the fluffing one thing up and tamping another thing down. Just notice how that works. Just watch. Does that eventually lead to 
just a realization that situation the situation is frankly unlikely. There's no guarantee that it, it's uh, it's something uh, that's recommended. As far as there's no, you can't really guarantee because the causes and conditions that arise as any given person or meditator or practitioner in your life and all of the all of the the, the uh, dependent origination of all the causes and conditions that come together that that create any given individual, including your birth and your parents and all of the things that you come into this life with. We can't really go in and say, well, if you meditate, this will happen. If you meditate, that will happen. Some people may do really extensive meditation, really intense meditation their whole life and, and never really have a strong realization. Maybe three lifetimes from now. And again, as I say, over and over again, so people don't misunderstand. I don't believe in uh, multiple lifetimes. I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> Eventually, I won't have to say anything. I'll just sit here and say, "Well, you know what? Uh, you know what I'm going to say." We are at the end of our sojourn. Unless there's any final questions that are burning a hole in your brain pan. Cool. And again, I'll remind everybody about our donation boxes in the hallway. We gladly accept all of your financial support. And if you're not already doing so, we would encourage you to consider a monthly donation on an ongoing basis to help us with our programs. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha.